We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 336 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. It is day two of the Commander's 2022 mandatory minicamp. Now, will day two be as consumed by the two big Commander stories right now as day one was? Uh, Let's hope not. I think probably not. Uh... The two big commander stories right now, of course, are the Jack Del Rio story and the Terry McLaurin story. It would be nice if each story ended up having a happy ending. Uh, Time will tell, but in the meantime, we discuss and we ponder each story. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. There was a lot, and I mean a lot, of stuff during day one of the commander's mandatory minicamp, as you hopefully know by now, no podcast or show covers the commanders like this podcast does. We bring you all of the key audio, and this installment of the podcast is no exception. Next segment, I will cover all of the key things said on Tuesday morning regarding the Jack Del Rio situation. Ron Rivera spoke for nearly two minutes on the situation, then refused to take questions on the situation, but he kept getting asked questions on the situation, and so he then finally answered a question on the situation, and then, if you can believe this, Ron got asked a question about gun control. Yes, gun control. This is where we're at now with reporters covering the commanders. Reporters are asking Ron about gun control. (laughs) I tell you, I can't wait for Ron's press conference on Wednesday so we can ask him about abortion, okay? I mean, because we got to talk about that with Ron Rivera. And then on Thursday, we can ask Ron about immigration. I mean, what is going on here? Gun control, really? That's what comes up now at a Ron Rivera press conference? Anyway. Uh, Ron on Tuesday morning changed his story for why he fined Jack Del Rio $100,000. I'm going to get into that next segment, as well as how Commander's defensive players are reacting to the Jack Del Rio dust-up. Oh, trust me, you do not want to miss that 
Uh, I then will get into the Terry McLaurin situation. Terry on Tuesday did, in fact, no-show the commander's mandatory minicamp. You will hear what Ron Rivera had to say about what's going on with Terry as the commanders and Camp Terry are negotiating a contract extension. You'll also hear some notable comments from Deron Payne and Logan Thomas. Uh, Speaking of Logan Thomas, he on Tuesday morning made a pretty significant reveal about the nature of his injured knee last season, I shall discuss. And I'll get into some good stuff from Jamin Davis on Tuesday morning. We all know that Jamin needs to be a lot better this coming season of his disappointing rookie season. Jamin himself is aware of that. Uh, He made that clear on Tuesday morning. Good for him. Uh, Also on the show, I'll talk Nationals. Uh, Their pitching, which is not good to begin with, is really struggling right now due to a confluence of events. And so the Nats on Tuesday night got ripped by the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park for a second straight night. 10 for the final. The Braves now have won 13 consecutive games. Lots of roster moves by the Nats on Tuesday afternoon, including placing Steven Strasburg on the 15-day injured list. We'll get into all of this later in the show. And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, They won on Tuesday night, a 6-5 win at the Toronto Blue Jays. Big night for Ryan Mountcastle. Big save for Jorge Lopez. Boy, has he been good this season. If you have never rated this podcast, uh, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating. Also, if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. Uh, You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. The review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you very much for doing the ratings and the reviews. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from John Arnold on the inner workings of this podcast. Writes John, congratulations on continuing to provide the best podcast content on all of our local sports franchises led by our beloved commanders who just can't seem to help themselves. Anyway, I typically listen to you on Spotify and noticed that Monday's episode, which I listened to on Monday, was listed as yesterday on Spotify. I'm guessing that maybe you drop your Monday content on Sunday, which may explain Spotify's date notification. As always, love the show. And wishing you continued success. Well, thank you very much for that, John. And yes, uh, you got it. Uh, Occasionally, this time of year, uh, with the Nationals and Orioles playing Sunday afternoon games and with not much happening on Sunday nights, uh, I do complete Monday shows on Sunday nights. And there have been a few Monday shows that have been completed on Sunday nights here lately. Astute observation by John. You know, it never ceases to amaze me, the things (laughs) that people who listen to this podcast pick up on. I will put the collective IQ of the listenership of this podcast against the collective IQ of the listenership of any other podcast out there. I promise you that. Uh, Email from Mike P on the Commander's Terry McLaurin contract situation. Writes Mike, on Terry McLaurin, the Commanders are going to pay him. The team and organization can't afford to lose the best player on the team. He sells tickets and merchandise and is an attraction at a stadium at which the team loses seats every weekend, it seems. I think that both the commanders and Terry are trying to figure out the correct price and how much he should get paid. I think both have to be realistic in what he should get paid. He shouldn't get Tyreek Hill money, but Terry is better 
than $20 million per year. Whatever he gets paid in three to five years will be a bargain. Ron Rivera's tenure depends on Terry McLaurin's availability. They will get it done. Just be patient. Uh, Thank you for the email, Mike. Uh, I agree. I do believe that the commanders and Terry McLaurin will get a contract extension done this offseason. Not as quickly as we would all like, but I do believe that a deal will get done. And good on you for adhering to one of my principal NFL contract philosophies. Today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. And, you know, this hand-wringing by some people over Terry not being worth 20-plus million dollars per year, understand that if Terry continues to be what he has been, and if you want the commanders to sign him, then you believe that he will continue to be what he has been, then the price of 20 plus million dollars will look like an absolute steal in just a few years. Well, of course, there's no price for your health or the health of someone who you care about. And so if that health has been jeopardized or damaged due to someone else's negligence, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what's best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. McDonald versus City Hospital, a $1.75 million verdict in a medical malpractice case. Bell versus Inova Health Systems, a $3 million verdict for paralysis due to failure to diagnose a medical condition. Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So Tuesday was day one of the Commander's three-day mandatory minicamp, what is the final batch of practices for the Commander's this offseason until training camp. Uh, Tuesday also was the day on which the head coach of the Commander's, Ron Rivera, spoke publicly for the first time since the eruption of Jack Del Rio Gate, or Dust Up Gate, or whatever you want to call it, Gate. Uh, It was this past Friday afternoon that Ron, in a statement, announced a $100,000 fine of Jack. The statement made it pretty clear that the reason that Ron fined Jack $100,000 was that Jack's words during his post-OTA practice press conference on June 8th, per Ron, quote, hurt a lot of people 
in our community. I want to make it clear that our organization will not tolerate any equivalency between those who demanded justice in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the actions of those on January 6th who sought to topple our government End quote. And as I pointed out on Monday's show, episode 334, it was potentially, and I emphasize that word, potentially unfair of Ron in that statement to infer that Jack on June 8th said that the peaceful protests of the spring and summer of 2020 were as bad or worse than the riot at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. What I think that Jack said, and this is what I certainly took Jack to have said, was that the rioting and looting of the spring and summer of 2020 were as bad or worse than the riot at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Now, I totally conceded that Jack did not express this feeling in a very good way. Uh, He should have never referred to what happened on January 6, 2021 as a dust-up, and he should have made it clear that there was nothing wrong with the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020. But I was not a fan of Ron essentially saying that Jack had drawn an equivalency between the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020 and what happened on January 6, 2021. But okay, fine. Ron said what he said in that statement. And as I conceded on Monday's show, Ron had spoken with Jack. I had not. So it was possible that Ron had a greater understanding of what Jack was trying to say than the rest of us had. Well, Rod Rivera on Tuesday morning did a pre-practice press conference. He spoke in the 8 a.m. hour. We had breakfast with Ron on Tuesday. Uh, And Ron, from the get-go of the pre-practice press conference, addressed the Jack Del Rio situation. Take a listen to what Ron said about why he fined Jack $100,000. This is not the fact that he exercised his right to free speech. This is about one impact of the football team, okay? And that's the thing we all have to understand. I believe in the First Amendment very strongly, okay? I stood next to Eric Reed when he took a knee, and, and Eric and I talked about this because I asked Eric, I said, help me understand so that I may under, be understood. And he, 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 he did. So in Jack's case, same thing, you know? But the thing that we all have to understand with, with these, 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 these rights, these freedoms, come tremendous responsibility, we have to understand that as well. And so this is about the impact that was made on our football team, the distraction it has become. And it's a very serious question and topic. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it did impact us. And that's why I did what I did. Um, Jack spoke to the team this morning uh, during the team meeting. He was very open, very forthright, uh, very contrite and apologized. And open himself up to questions or opportunities for any players to come in and meet with him. He has already met with, with, with some of our players and talked to some of them about what was said. And I've been told those meetings went very, very well. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. And as he finished, he did the same thing. So guys, please, any questions, come see me. Let's talk about that. Um, and I thought it was good. That was well received. And we'll see. But our intent is to go forward. I'm about reconciliation. I think we need to reconcile not just this football team, but this community. We have to understand that when we do things like this, it impacts the community as well. And we got to make sure the community understands that we understand and we get it. That's important. So this was really about taking accountability, holding ourselves accountable, and then going forward and trying reconciling with things. And we're beginning to see it even in our own nation's capital. We see that the Republicans and Democrats are trying to come, come together and reconcile on, on, on the Second Amendment. 
and we'll see what happens. But that's what this is, and it's very important that we get through it. Um, what Jack and I talked about is between Jack and I. I'm not going to discuss that, okay? So with that, guys, I'm going forward. I'm moving on. So if there's any questions on football, please feel free to ask. I'm not going to address anything else other than football. All right, so there was a lot there from Ron Rivera in the opening remarks of his pre-practice press conference on Tuesday morning. But Ron, in the very beginning of what I just played for you, said of finding Jack Del Rio $100,000, quote, this is not the fact that he exercised his right to free speech. This is about what impacted the football team. The thing that we all have to understand with these rights, these freedoms, come tremendous responsibility And we have to understand that as well. And so this is about the impact that was made on our football team, the distraction it has become. And it's a very serious question and topic, but at the end of the day, it did impact us. And that's why I did what I did. And quote, okay. So that explanation right there from Ron Rivera of why he find Jack Del Rio, $100,000, is not the same explanation that was given in the statement from Ron this past Friday afternoon. The explanation for the $100,000 fine of Jack that Ron gave in a statement this past Friday afternoon was that Jack drew an equivalency between the protests in the spring and summer of 2020 and what happened on January 6, 2021, even though, as I said, I don't think that Jack did that. He drew an equivalency between the rioting and looting from the spring and summer of 2020 and what happened on January 6, 2021. However, the explanation for the $100,000 fine of Jack that Ron gave in his pre-practice press conference on Tuesday morning was that Jack's comments had caused a distraction for the team. Well, which explanation is it? What's the actual true reason for Ron Rivera having fined Jack Del Rio $100,000? Now, personally, I like the second explanation a lot better than the first explanation, but Ron did change his story here. Plain and simple. Ron changed his reasoning for the fine. And you have to ask why. You know, what is that about? Now, something else that I said on Monday's show is that I am sympathetic to Ron Rivera for having to deal with this Jack Del Rio situation. Ron didn't ask for this, and yet here he has yet another fiasco with which to deal during his time as Washington head coach. Uh, Ron was put in an impossible position with this Jack Del Rio situation. Ron was darned if he did and darned if he didn't when it came to firing Jack Del Rio. A lot of people want Jack fired. A lot of people don't think that anything should have been done to Jack. No matter what Ron did, he was going to anger a lot of people. And what's funny is that Ron, in finding Jack the $100,000, may have just angered everyone. Because if you want Jack fired, then you feel that the fine wasn't nearly enough of a punishment. And if you thought that nothing should have been done to Jack, then you feel that the fine is ridiculous. Uh, But it stands out to me, and I'm surprised that this isn't standing out to more people, that Ron on Tuesday morning changed his story. And if that sounds familiar, it should sound familiar. This is not the first time that Ron Rivera as Washington head coach has changed his story. Uh, Ron in the 2020 regular season changed his story for that season. Uh, Ron went from talking about Dwayne Haskins being given a shot at QB1 and the team being essentially in a rebuilding season 
uh, to benching Dwayne and talking about the team trying to win the NFC East. And of course, we came to find out that the reason for Ron changing his story was that Dwayne was slacking behind the scenes and his performance wasn't justifying the slacking. And Ron didn't want to just say this publicly. And so we came up with this, hey, let's go for it. Let's try to win the NFC East narrative to explain the benching of Dwayne. And of course, Washington did end up winning the NFC East that season. Uh, How about middle linebacker? Ron, late last season and early this offseason, said that Cole Holcomb was an outside linebacker in a 4-3 alignment, that the team needed to find itself a middle linebacker, a Mike linebacker. Then just a few months later, seemingly out of nowhere, Ron and general manager Martin Mayhew were raving about Cole Holcomb being the Mike linebacker. Ron changed his story on that. And hey, you're allowed to change your mind, okay? I have no problem with people who change their minds upon gaining new information. But that's different than on a Friday afternoon saying one reason for finding your defensive coordinator $100,000 and then the following Tuesday morning saying an entirely different reason for finding your defensive coordinator $100,000. Now, also with the Jack Del Rio situation on Tuesday was him talking to the team. As Ron Rivera said on Tuesday morning, quote, Jack spoke to the team this morning during the team meeting. He was very open, very forthright, very contrite, and apologized and opened himself up to questions or opportunities for any players to come in and meet with him. He has already met with some of our players and talked to some of them about what was said, and I've been told those meetings went very, very well. And so I'm very pleased with that. And as he finished, he did the same thing. Guys, please, any questions, come see me. Let's talk about that. And I thought it was good. It was well-received, and we'll see. But our intent is to go forward. I'm about reconciliation. End quote. All right. So the commander's players, to me, are the ones who matter the most in this Jack Del Rio situation. Uh, They're the ones playing for Jack. Uh, They are, yes, overwhelmingly black. How they feel about Jack Del Rio, to me, matters more than how anyone else feels. There has been a lot out there calling for commander's defensive players to speak out against Jack Del Rio, uh, to shame Jack Del Rio, to slam Jack Del Rio. Pro Football Hall of Famer Ed Reed on Twitter on Saturday morning, quote, today I'm sick and tired. A dust up, a hundred thousand is not enough. Money ain't nothing to a person who is recycled through coaching. It's always one. First it was Saban. Now it's Jack to just remind us what it is. Man, if you coached by him, put your pants on. It's simple, right and wrong. Wrong. End quote. So right there was Ed Reed very clearly calling on commander's defensive players to speak out against Jack Del Rio. A column from Kevin Blackstone of the Washington Post headline, NFL players vowed to speak out. Let's hear them on Jack Del Rio. Okay, yeah, let's hear them. Let's hear what Commander's defensive players had to say on Tuesday morning. The best player on the Commander's defense is an interior defensive lineman named Jonathan Allen. Uh, He is black, in case you didn't know. Here he was on Tuesday morning in a session with reporters on what Jack Del Rio said to the team on Tuesday morning. Stood up in front of the team. He owned his comments. And what else can you ask for? I mean, obviously, everybody makes mistakes. But when you make a mistake, own it, be a man about it, and move on. And that's what we're doing. Huh. Interesting. 
Well, Jonathan Allen still must be really upset. Here's some more from Jonathan Allen on Tuesday morning. Here he was on if he ever gets tired of all of the non-football stuff with the Commanders. Anything that's outside of this, I could care less. I got blasted on Twitter for not, for for whatever reason. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn. I really don't. Anybody outside of this team is so unimportant to me. It means nothing what you say to me or what the media says to me. You're not on the field with us playing football. You're not playing double teams. You're not out here busting your ass with me every day. I could care less what people think on Twitter because Twitter's not a real space. It's a space that people hop behind the keyboards and say whatever they want to say. I could give a rat's ass what people say on Twitter. It's not a distraction whatsoever. We're moving forward. We're getting ready for training camp. So that was Jonathan Allen on Tuesday morning. He didn't seem to be upset with Jack Del Rio. Uh, John didn't seem to be mad at Jack. If anything, John <laughs> seemed to be mad at Jack's critics. But yes, John himself had a Twitter problem earlier this offseason, right? John, this past February 9th, did an AMA and Ask Me Anything on Twitter. Uh, among the questions that John got asked was, quote, you can have dinner with three people, dead or alive. Who are you inviting and quote, John's answer was, quote, my granddad, Hitler, and Michael Jackson, end quote. Uh, the asker of the question then responded, quote, two of the three I understand, but please explain Hitler, end quote. John then responded, quote, he's a military genius and I love military tactics, but honestly, I would want to pick his brain as to why he did what he did. I'm also assuming that the people I've chosen have to answer all my questions honestly, end quote. Uh, John predictably got slammed for this. He eventually tweeted the following, quote, I tweeted something that probably hurt people, and I apologize about what I said. I didn't express properly what I was trying to say, and I realize it was dumb, end quote. All right, so let's discount what Jonathan Allen said on Tuesday morning about Jack Del Rio, right? I mean, there's no way that what Jonathan Allen said on Tuesday morning about Jack Del Rio is valid, right? Surely the rest of the commander's defense right now is furious, is livid at Jack. Uh, Deron Payne, how about him? He is the commander's second best interior defensive lineman. He's a key commander's defensive player. He's black, in case you didn't know. Uh, no doubt that Duran can't even stand to be in the same room as Jack Del Rio is in. Q&A on Tuesday morning between Commander's Insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com and Duran Payne. Duran, obviously, uh, Jack's comments uh, he addressed with the room this morning. How important was it for him to do that, and, and what do you feel you guys gained from that? I mean, he, had, he did what he had to do. You know, he's still our coach, you feel me? We go out here and play ball. Does, does it impact the way you see things going forward at all? Nah, man, I play football. Huh. Okay. Well, you know what? Deron Payne is a man of few words. Surely there was someone. Surely there was some commander's defensive player who spoke to reporters on Tuesday morning who is irate at Jack Del Rio. After all, so many people are so sure that so many of these commander's defensive players couldn't possibly still like Jack, couldn't possibly see what Jack was trying to say albeit in a sloppy way, and no way would any of them ever agree with what Jack was trying to say. Let's move to the commander's secondary. You know, every NFL team has independent thinkers in its secondary. The commander's best safety is a guy named Cameron Curl. In case you didn't know, he's black. Q&A on Tuesday morning between Michael Phillips and Cameron Curl, and then commander's insider John Kime of ESPN and Cameron Curl. Have you talked to Jack at all since his comments were one of the people that took him up on that offer? At, how, how you feel about that? I mean, we, we have conversations. You know, every time I see him in the building, we talk. So, you know, we just be having little small talk conversations. 
um, along those lines, did that, were you worried that those comments would become an issue at all, or what, what did you think about that? Uh, no, I'm not really worried about anything, you know. We just really focus on football in this building. You know, we got taken care of in-house, so that's really how we're going to keep it, for real. Gee. Golly gee. Neither Jonathan Allen, nor Duran Payne, nor Cameron Curl sound upset with Jack Del Rio. Just like Kendall Fuller during his post-OTA practice press conference on June 8th didn't sound upset with Jack Del Rio. Imagine that. Now look, I'm not naive enough to dismiss the possibility that some or all of these guys are lying. I'm certainly not just assuming that every commander's defensive player right now is in love with Jack Del Rio. But off what Ron Rivera said on Tuesday morning, and Jonathan Allen said on Tuesday morning, and Deron Payne said on Tuesday morning, and Cameron Curl said on Tuesday morning, you tell me, does it sound like there's a mutiny on the commander's defense right now? Does it sound like what people like Ed Reed and so many in the media are so sure of is actually what's happening? Or maybe, just maybe, just maybe, could it be that many slash most commanders, defensive players are good with Jack Del Rio, that they know who he is, that they respect him, that they realize that he on June 8th made a big mistake in how he said what he said but that what he was saying really wasn't that controversial or bad or wrong if, in fact, what he was saying was that the rioting and looting in the spring and summer of 2020 were bad. If Jack Del Rio believes that the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020, which were the overwhelming majority of the protests in the spring and summer of 2020, were bad, then shame on him, okay? He's totally wrong. But if he believes, as many if not most Americans believe, that the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020 were good, but that the rioting and looting in the spring and summer of 2020 were bad, then what Jack said on June 8th is forgivable. He should have never called what happened on January 6, 2021 a dust-up. He should have made it clear that the peaceful protests in the spring and summer of 2020 were totally fine, but that his players seem to still very much be with him, I believe, says a lot. Well, few things say more about you than your home. Uh, You want a great home. You deserve a great home. But buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area is tricky right now. This is where Kellen Hunt comes in. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKel.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. The D.C. area is a great area, but that also means that buying a home in the D.C. area is competitive. Homes in the D.C. area are going under contract quickly after those homes are listed. Kellen Hunt understands the D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life. Whether you're a first-time buyer looking for guidance or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, and he will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Smart, attention to detail, creative. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer, 
get a piece of the action. So visit closeitwithkel.com. That's closeitwithkel, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Visit closeitwithkel.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkel.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. So the biggest topic on day one of the commander's three-day mandatory minicamp was the Jack Del Rio situation. But the second biggest topic was the Terry McLaurin contract situation. Uh, Terry on Tuesday did, in fact, no-show the commander's mandatory minicamp. He became the first Washington player to no-show a mandatory minicamp for the team since Trent Williams in 2019 and just the second Washington player to no-show a mandatory minicamp for the team since Albert Hainsworth in 2010. Uh, Terry is entering the fourth and final season of his rookie contract. He and the commanders have been negotiating a contract extension, but the talks reportedly have not yielded much progress, at least not yet. And these negotiations are further complicated by the fact that so many other receivers this NFL offseason have signed big money contract extensions. Uh, the Commander's 2022 offseason program started on April 18th. Terry initially was showing up. He just wasn't doing any on-field work. But Commander's insider Nikki Zavala of the Washington Post on May 23rd reported that Terry had not attended any of the Commander's offseason program since the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, the Commanders last week concluded their OTA practices this offseason. Terry didn't attend any of the OTA practices. The Commanders this offseason held three sets of OTA practices, May 23rd through the 26th, May 31st through June 2nd, and June 6th through the 8th. Terry McLaurin did not attend a single one of those OTA practices, which, yes, were voluntary. Well, the mandatory minicamp is mandatory, and Terry now officially is an OSHA. Uh, here was Commander's head coach Rod Rivera during his pre-practice press conference on Tuesday morning on Terry McLaurin no-showing the Commander's mandatory minicamp. Well, my thoughts and my only concern is that we continue to work, continue to have a dialogue. We're not, you know, we're not going anywhere, Terry. We want Terry to be here. Terry's a big part of what we want to do and accomplish as a football team. So we're doing everything we can, and we'll continue to work with it and try and get Terry here to be part of our football team. I, I get it. I, I understand what Terry's trying to do. We're trying to do the same thing from our perspective. You know, we, we want him here. He's going to be here because uh, we believe in who he is for us as a, fo as a football player. Excuse me. All right, I had no problem with what Rod Rivera said right there. He said what he should have said. Uh, Terry McLaurin no-showing the commander's mandatory minicamp, of course, is posturing. In addition to being precautionary, uh, he doesn't want to do anything right now with any injury risk of note prior to signing a big money contract extension. The last thing that Terry wants is to suffer a serious injury in an offseason practice prior to to his big payday. Remember, the Redskins took Terry in the third round of the 2019 NFL Draft. He is not playing under the terms of some big money rookie contract. Terry, for the 2022 season, has a base salary of just $2.79 million. That's nothing in terms of NFL money. Now, as I noted on Tuesday's show, episode 335, well, Terry McLaurin does deserve the benefit of the doubt. 
for no-showing the commander's mandatory minicamp given how good and reliable he has been for the team. I also don't think that he has to be doing what he's doing. Uh, I don't really see why Terry this offseason couldn't be doing what another commander's player entering a contract season, interior defensive lineman Duran Payne, is doing. Uh, Duran is entering a contract season. Duran, unlike Terry, doesn't even seem to be in the midst of negotiations for a contract extension right now. Commander's insider Ben Standing of The Athletic on April 26 reported that the commanders this offseason were not expected to even offer Duran a contract extension. And yet Duran has been showing up this offseason, not to everything. Uh, he at the very least skipped the commander's final OTA practice, but Duran, for the most part, has been showing up. He just hadn't been participating in team drills, although he on Tuesday morning did participate in team drills. I don't think that it would have like killed Terry McLaurin or ruined his leverage to be doing what Duran is doing. Duran Payne on Tuesday morning did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on why he is attending the commander's mandatory minicamp. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with commander's insider John Keim of ESPN. Uh, I just like training. I like being around the guys. I like um, like just fellowshipping. So it was fun for me to be here and get some work in. Did you think at all about not coming? No. Well, I mean, I was here. I was there. It was whatever. Yeah, man. Whatever. <laughs> I love those answers from Deron Payne. Fellowshipping. How about that word? Fellowshipping. He's a fan of fellowshipping with his teammates. That was great. Everyone needs some good fellowshipping in their lives. Uh, now, also doing a post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning was tight end Logan Thomas. Now, remember, Logan got paid last summer. Washington, last July 28th, announced the signing of Logan Thomas to a three-year contract extension off his terrific 2020 season which was his first season with Washington. Uh, and it's a good thing that Logan signed that contract extension last July 28th because his 2021 season, what was supposed to be a contract season, ended up being ravaged by injury. Logan, in the 2021 regular season, played in just six of Washington's 17 games. Logan Thomas on Tuesday morning on Terry McLaurin no-showing the commander's mandatory minicamp. As a guy who's been kind of a journeyman in this league and understanding what it takes to to stick in the league and then finally get a chance to make a little bit of money in this league, um, the NFL is going to use you. At the same time, you got to get yours. Uh, obviously, as a team player, you want him here, uh, even if he wasn't to participate on the field. Um, but I understand where he's coming from, man. Like this is you got a one chance, man. You got one opportunity to make uh, a contract in this league. And uh, Terry's a great dude, great player, great kid great person, uh, a person I care about a lot, and uh, do your thing, Terry, like, you know, you get what you deserve, and um, the time will make, the time will come, whether it's this year, next year, or whenever the time comes that he'll get what he deserves, and um, like I've said all along, I can't wait to get back on the field with all the weapons that we got, because we, we're retooled and reloaded and ready to go. Yeah, man, can't wait. Uh, by the way, how about the voice on Logan Thomas? That guy should be doing voiceovers when his NFL career is over. But yeah, Logan made a very worthy and valid point regarding Terry McLaurin no-showing the commander's mandatory minicamp. Quote, the NFL is going to use you at the same time. You got to get yours. I understand where he's coming from. 
And quote, uh, Logan's right about that. He's 100% right about that. You do have to get yours. Uh, that said, I don't like Terry McLaurin no-showing the mandatory minicamp. That, to me, is an unnecessarily harsh step. At the same time, I love Terry McLaurin as a player. We all do. I am willing to give him the benefit of the doubt for the majority of this contract situation stuff. And ultimately, none of this stuff will matter if a contract extension for Terry with the Commanders gets done this offseason. And I do think that a deal will get done. Uh, The Commanders need to come hard and come correct and pay him what it takes to sign him to a contract extension. You know, I would have no problem with the commander signing Terry to the A.J. Brown deal. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles on April 28th acquired receiver A.J. Brown via trade with the Tennessee Titans, then signed him to a big money contract extension, a four-year, $100 million contract extension that included $40 million guaranteed at signing. A.J. Brown was taken by the Titans in the second round of the 2019 draft. Terry was taken by the Redskins in the third round of the 2019 draft. A four-year, $100 million contract extension with $40 million guaranteed at signing. I would do that deal in a heartbeat for Terry McLaurin. Well, I mentioned Logan Thomas. Uh, Also from him on Tuesday was a notable reveal about his injured knee from this past December and an update on whether he'll be ready for week one of the 2022 season. I'll get to all of that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, as you likely know, when an NFL player or really any athlete is said to have suffered a torn ACL, what often also is the case is that other damage to the knee was suffered as well. Commander's tight end Logan Thomas at his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning on day one of the Commander's three-day mandatory minicamp revealed that his injured knee last season included more than just a torn ACL. Logan revealed 
that he tore his ACL, MCL, and meniscus. Uh, not good. Uh, Logan, in the 2021 regular season, played in just six of Washington's 17 games. He was on the reserve injured list from October 6, 2021 to November 29, 2021, due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in Week 4. And then Logan, in just his second game back, the win at the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 13, suffered a season-ending torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus. Uh, that win at the Raiders happened last December 5th, which obviously was late in the 2021 regular season. And so what about Logan being ready for week one of the 2022 season? Logan Thomas on Tuesday morning on whether he'll be ready for the start of the 2022 regular season. I would love to be back for week one. Uh, that's my goal. If it doesn't happen, I don't feel right. Uh, I feel like I got limitations, then I'll come back when I'm ready. Uh, but I think I think y'all can probably see and get a feeling for what's going on in this building right now. We got a lot of talent uh, in the football in the football aspect of it, and the offense is clicking, and um, just want to be a part of it. So, uh, you know, week one would be great, but if not, so be it. Yeah, so it is far from a given that Logan Thomas will be ready for week one of the 2022 regular season. The good news is that the Commanders have some potential depth at tight end with John Bates and Cole Turner and Samus Reyes and Antonio Gandy-Golden. The Commanders also have this undrafted rookie tight end, Curtis Hodges of Arizona State. He's listed as being 6'8". He's intriguing. So it may be that the Commanders would be just fine without Logan Thomas for the start of the 2022 regular season. But obviously, his health is important. Uh, Logan Thomas in the 2020 regular season, it was a force for Washington. 72 receptions for 670 yards and six touchdowns on 110 targets over 16 games. And know this, the Commanders' new starting quarterback, our new QB1, Carson Wentz, historically, throws to tight ends a lot. Uh, According to True Media, Carson Wentz has the second highest percentage of regular season pass attempts to tight ends in the NFL since he came into the league in 2016. That percentage, 31.1. Only Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson has a higher such percentage during that span. Lamar's percentage is 32.6. One more commander's item from day one of their three-day mandatory minicamp. Linebacker Jamin Davis. The spotlight is on. The heat is on. Jamin Davis this coming season to be better than he was in his disappointing 2021 rookie season. Uh, Washington took Jamin with the number 19 pick in the 2021 NFL draft out of Kentucky. This was seen as a reach pick, and at least so far, uh, that take is correct. Uh, Jamin had a really bad rookie season. Nothing captured this more than Jamin late in the 2021 regular season taking a backseat to David Mayo. Uh, Washington had that week 17 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. That game featured Jamin Davis playing on just 21% of Washington's defensive snaps and David Mayo playing on 66% of Washington's defensive snaps. Jamin, for the 2021 regular season, had an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of just 46.8. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. 
Jamin's overall PFF grade for last season, again, 46.8. Uh, Jamin Davis on Tuesday morning did a post-practice press conference. Here was Jamin on what his rookie season was like for him. Uh, definitely a humbling experience. That's what I call it. Uh, going forward, like I said, there's nothing I can do about it now. Just going out there and doing my thing. Yeah, so notable that Jamin Davis said that. Uh, Jamin Davis, the person, is a very likable person. He's known as a hard worker and a disciplined person. Uh, he comes from a military family. Both of his parents are Army veterans. You know, he just was not a good player for Washington last season. He was overthinking things last season, in no small part because Washington miscast Jamin Davis. Washington had Jamin Davis as the Mike linebacker, and he just was not ready for that. Uh, understand, Jamin Davis was only a starter at Kentucky for one season, his 2020 junior season. Jamin Davis on Tuesday morning on how things are better for him now. Play speed by a mile. I mean, just being out there and not thinking twice about anything, just going out there and knowing your, sh- knowing your stuff, sorry, <laughs> and uh, just going out there playing fast. Yeah, playing fast. That is the key for Jamin Davis this coming season. Don't think so much, just play. And Jamin Davis is fast. You know, this guy does have really impressive athleticism. Remember, Jamin Davis was a meteoric riser in the 2021 pre-draft process. He killed it at the Kentucky Pro Day on March 31st, 2021. Measured as being 6'3 and a half and 234 pounds, ran a 43740 and had a 42-inch vertical leap. Uh, Now, it's impossible to ignore this. Uh, The Commanders have done next to nothing at Jamin Davis's position of linebacker this offseason. For all of the talk of linebacker being a need for the Commanders, they this offseason haven't added a single linebacker of consequence, or at least of apparent consequence. Uh, The Commanders, during their practices this offseason, have been going with mostly, if not entirely, with looks of no more than two linebackers on defense. So the commanders at linebacker for the 2022 season certainly seem set to be all about two guys, Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis. Jamin Davis on Tuesday morning on whether he takes the commanders, having done so little at linebacker this offseason, as a vote of confidence. I mean, not necessarily. I'm just going to go out there and do my job. I mean, I don't really pay attention to anything outside or in or any of that. So, I mean, I got a guy like Cole around me. I got a good locker room around me, and we just going to go out there and make this thing shape. I like that answer from Jamin Davis, but of course, ultimately, all of this is just talk. His play this coming season needs to be a lot better than his play was last season. And going off what he had to say on Tuesday morning, Jamin Davis certainly seems to be aware of this. Well, the timing of the Nationals' ongoing series with the Atlanta Braves really could not be worse. Uh, So the Nats are a bad team to begin with, as we know. They are especially reeling right now from a pitcher availability standpoint. The Braves are surging right now. And the results over the first two games of this series at Nationals Park have been brutal for the Nats. Monday night, a 9-5 loss. Tuesday night, a 10-5 four loss. The Nats this season now are 23 and 41, worst record in the National League. The Braves now have won 13 consecutive games. Uh, Now, the Nats, prior to their 10-4 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Tuesday night, made a bunch of roster moves, uh, principal among them placing starting pitcher Steven Strasburg on the 15-day injured list. 
retroactive to June 11th with a stress reaction of the ribs. Uh, Remember, Nats manager Davey Martinez on Monday afternoon during his pregame press conference revealed that Strasburg would be going back to being on an injured list due to having felt discomfort off his bullpen session on Saturday, which was off his 2022 Major League debut this past Thursday night. 7-4 loss at the Miami Marlins. Strasburg allowed seven runs in four and two-thirds innings. He made one major league start, one start in his comeback from thoracic outlet syndrome before being hurt again. And Strasburg being out again is part of an absolute mess for the Nats pitching staff right now. Remember what happened with Monday night's 9-5 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park. The start of the game was delayed for an hour and 33 minutes due to unexpected rain, uh, resulting in the Nats scheduled starting pitcher for the game, Josiah Gray, warming up, but then not pitching in the game. We still don't know when he'll next pitch in a game. And the Nats are about to play six games over five days. Uh, The Nats have a doubleheader against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on Friday. Uh, So the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night was a guy named Jackson Tatro. Who? What? Exactly. Jackson Tatro. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday afternoon selected the contract of Jackson Tatro from AAA Rochester. Who is Jackson Tatro, you ask? Well, Jackson Tatro was selected by the Nats in the seventh round of the 2017 MLB draft out of State College of Florida. Uh, Tatro this season for Rochester, 12 starts, ERA of 419. Uh, This is his age 26 season. He is far from some prize prospect, but he on Tuesday night was making his major league debut. I mean, this pretty obviously was a big deal for Jackson Tatro, and this should have been a big deal for Jackson Tatro. The problem for Jackson Tatro is that this game came against a team that is surging in the Braves, and the result, not surprisingly, was not good. Uh, Tatro allowed seven runs in four innings. He gave up nine hits, three home runs, a double, and five singles. He issued one walk. He recorded just two strikeouts. He, over his four innings, threw 91 pitches. You had something like what we had in the third, a five-run Braves third. Tatro, in that Braves five-run third, gave up two homers, a double, two singles, and a walk. Uh, Now, also for the Nats on Tuesday afternoon, a bunch of bullpen moves. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday afternoon selected the contract of reliever Reed Garrett from AAA Rochester, recalled reliever Francisco Perez from AAA Rochester, and optioned reliever Jordan Weems to Triple A Rochester. Not among the Nats relievers summoned from Triple A Rochester was Tyler Clippard. And this is very strange to me that the Nats have a guy in Tyler Clippard who has pitched a bunch in the majors, including, of course, for the Nats. He has been very durable. He, for the most part, has been very good. Yes, he is an older pitcher. But when the Nats signed him a few months ago, the idea was for him to pitch for the Nats at the major league level. And instead, he is just languishing at AAA Rochester this season. I mean, we're in mid-June. We're about to reach the halfway mark of the MLB season, and yet Tyler Clippard remains at AAA Rochester, and it's not like he's doing that poorly. He has an ERA under three. He has more strikeouts than he has innings pitched. Like, he's actually been pretty good. Now, look, 
maybe his velocity isn't what you want it to be, okay? I'm sure that there are nits to pick, but good God, man, the Nats pitching is not good. (laughs) You know, like the beggars shall not be choosers. And yet for whatever reason, the Nats refuse to call up Tyler Clippard. This is a very strange situation, what has got on here. And what's also funny is this, the Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo is a guy who like loves to bring back former Nats players, loves to have older players on his team. And yet for whatever reason, Tyler Clifford is not allowed to be on the Nats team this season. Uh, It's a very bizarre circumstance. Anyway, lots of roster moves for the Nats on Tuesday afternoon, including with the bullpen. Three Nats relievers on Tuesday night combined to allow three runs in five innings. Andres Machado allowed two runs in two innings. He began the top of the six by giving up back-to-back home runs to Orlando Arcia and Michael Harris the second. Uh, Machado did record four strikeouts. Then Reed Garrett Tossed two scoreless innings in his Nats Major League debut. And then Francisco Perez allowed a run in the top of the ninth. So note, the Nats on Tuesday night used four total pitchers. Three of the four pitchers were summoned from AAA Rochester earlier in the day. Such is the state of the Nats pitching staff right now due to a variety of circumstances. And uh, not shockingly, Nats pitching is getting slaughtered in this series against the Braves. The Braves have hit five home runs in each of the first two games of this series. Yes, 10 homers by the Braves over just the first two games of this series. And look, the Nats offense, I mean, what is it supposed to do, okay? That's not great to begin with. And the Nats on Tuesday night were without Juan Soto. Yeah, no Soto for the Nats on Tuesday night. He did not play due to having suffered a right knee contusion on Monday night in the Nats dugout in a freakish occurrence. He like slipped and banged his knee against the bench. So as if the Nats needed this right now, the absence of Juan Soto, well, uh, this is what we have right now. No Juan Soto for the Nats, at least on Tuesday night. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday night, four runs, just seven hits, a double and six singles. And the double was a meaningless double. Riley Adams who was an ad-starting catcher and number seven batter, had a two-out full-count double in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday night worked just one walk the entire game. Uh, so like I said, no Juan Soto. That, in theory, meant more pressure on Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell, but uh, they did not come through. Cruz as an ad-starting DH and number three batter, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Bell as an ad-starting first baseman and number four batter, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. So Cruz and Bell on Tuesday night combined 0 for 8 with three strikeouts. Uh, Luis Garcia did have another nice hit. He is an at starting shortstop and number six batter went one for four with an RBI single. Garcia in an at's one run six had a two out RBI single to center field to cut the Nats deficit to 9-4. The only Nats player on Tuesday night who had at least two hits was A-Ray Adrianza. And when A-Ray Adrianza is your leading offensive producer, that's a problem. All due respect to A-Ray Adrianza. He on Tuesday night has an at starting left fielder and number eight batter, two for four with two singles. Uh, another roster move by the Nats on Tuesday afternoon, by the way, they designated infielder slash outfielder D. Strange Gordon for assignment. Uh, D. Strange Gordon just had not been playing much for the Nats Uh, since A. Ray Adrianza 
had recovered from his quadriceps injury and finally made his Major League regular season debut for the Nats. Uh, Game three for the Nats against the Braves at Nationals Park is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, make it three wins in four games for the Orioles. Uh, they on Tuesday night won at the Toronto Blue Jays, 6-5 in game two of a four-game series to get back to being in, Joe Angel, the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's this season now are 27 and 36. Big game for Ryan Mountcastle. Uh, he is the Orioles starting first baseman and number three batter on Tuesday night. Three for five with a two run homer and two doubles. Uh, he finished with eight total bases. Mountcastle in the top of the first had a two out double. He and the Orioles two run third had a two out two run homer and he and the Orioles two run fifth had a double. You know, this has not been a great season for Mountcastle, but he is second on the O's with 10 home runs, and he now is second among all qualified Orioles players in slugging percentage at 460. Uh, number one is Austin Hayes at 464. He homered on Tuesday night. Hayes as the Orioles starting right fielder and number two batter, one for five with a solo homer. He and the Orioles two-run fifth had a leadoff homer. Also for the O's on Tuesday night, a five-out save for Jorge Lopez, one and two-thirds perfect innings. He was helped out by a great defensive play by shortstop Jorge Mateo, who coming into games on Tuesday was number one among all players in the majors in defensive wins above replacement per baseball reference at 1.6. Mateo has held the major league lead in defensive war for a while here, and uh, it's not hard to understand why he's been really good defensively for the O's this season. And Lopez has been really good for the O's this season. Uh, Jorge Lopez now this season has an ERA of 0.88. Remember, this guy was basically a failure as a starting pitcher. And, you know, like Zach Britton, has reinvented himself here as a closer for the Orioles. And Lopez, like Zach Britton in 2016, is pitching at quite a level. I mean, ERA under one as we're now in mid-June. So great stuff from uh, the Orioles to Jorge's, Jorge Lopez and Jorge Mateo. The negative for the O's on Tuesday night was Jordan Lyles, although not according to the Orioles manager, Brandon Hyde. Uh, so Lyles on Tuesday night, four runs in five and a third innings. He gave up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. He issued two walks, a hit by pitch, and a wild pitch. He did have seven strikeouts, so that was good. But Lyles, over his five and a third innings, through 96 pitches. I certainly was not saying to myself, boy, Jordan Lyles is just killing it here on Tuesday night. Uh, but Brandon Hyde, <laughs> at least according to what he said to reporters after the game, was quite pleased. Take a listen. Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on the performance of Jordan Lyles. I thought Jordan pitched great. Um, like I said, this is a, a really tough lineup. Um, you know, he hung that one to Chapman. That was two runs right there. So you take that that away. Uh, that, he pitched outstanding. Worked both sides of the plate. Thought he had a really good two-seamer tonight. He, he could expand with the slider and the breaking ball off that and kept, got, kept him off balance for the most part. So he did a great job. Yeah, so, you know, saying that Jordan Lyles was great was outstanding, as Brandon Hyde said, uh, that was a bit much. I mean, you know, you could say that Lyles was maybe better than the final line indicated. Four runs 
in five and a third innings. And like I said, Lyles did have seven strikeouts. And yes, the Blue Jays have a very good lineup, so you can maybe grade with a curve a bit. But I mean, let's not go overboard on four runs in five and a third innings. Lyles, over 12 starts this season, has an ERA over five, uh, 5.10. So, you know, I think the praise can only go so far. And truth be told, Lyles has struggled to varying degrees in each of his last four starts now. But he was good enough to win on Tuesday night. That is true. The O's got themselves the win. Game three for the O's at the Blue Jays is on Wednesday night at 7.07. Bruce Zimmerman will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 337, will feature much more on the Commanders off Wednesday's day two of their mandatory minicamp. And we'll include plenty on the Nationals and Orioles. Game three for the Nats against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park is on Wednesday night at 7.05. Game three for the O's at the Toronto Blue Jays is on Wednesday night at 7.07. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. I don't don't give a damn. I really don't. Anybody outside of this team is so unimportant to me. It means nothing what you say to me or what the media says to me. You're not on the field with us playing football. You're not playing double teams. You're not out here busting your ass with me every day. I could care less what people think on Twitter because Twitter's not a real space. It's a space that people hop behind the keyboards and say whatever they want to say. I could give a rat's ass what people say on Twitter. It's not a distraction whatsoever. We're moving forward and getting ready for training camp.